in wings in today's episode of my way make sure to keep balance in your life everybody you know really defines that differently but i think and what i learned from somebody that that trains 150,000 new army recruits every year that was his job and i always remember him saying the most important thing about training is recovery it's not the training it's the recovery period and he completely changed all of the initial training of all the army troops about 10 years ago and they focused on recovery welcome to the new episode of my way it's an interesting episode uh, this time because we have a very interesting guest uh, he works with different startups to help them achieve their goals and improve their business models but that is not the interesting part the more interesting part is that he worked with some of the major companies of the world he was director with disney with american express before that worked with at&t but moved on from all these opportunities to help startups welcome bob to our podcast oh i'm glad to be here i'm looking forward to it <laughs> i i have a very interesting question to start our podcast um sure. since you work with these big names can you give us an insight about different work cultures in these different uh, organizations oh sure they, sure they from very different sector right one is in entertainment uh, the other is in finance and last one is in communication so they are right. all different so give us a bit of an idea about work culture in these companies oh sure sure I'd be happy to so and actually my first job was with AT&T and at the time it was the largest company in the world 1.1 million employees um, wow. and um it it's probably the best way to describe their culture is very similar to the military highly highly structured they value planning and they value loyalty and uh they had multi-generational people Uh, working there it was not unheard of to say yes my father my grandfather even my great grandfather had worked at the company it was over 100 years old um so again very highly structured planning was important we did believe it or not 20 year planning so well, that that was that really drove the culture but i always say too that your products and your market drive your culture too you really were kind of almost forced to do that kind of approach and have that culture to serve your market uh because of the kind of infrastructure we're building because it was a national telecommunications company so shift over now very different you go to american express and its products and services are very simple and uh they're not easy to kind of to build and design but they're very simple and it also is influenced by wall street and the culture and that culture is all about speed making decisions and if you fail at anything you just move on you say what was the learning let's move on and so your the culture is very much speed oriented very quick decision making loyalty is not important it basically says survival of the fittest you're here we have great jobs we will pay you very well and they did um and will be very creative um but we're not really concerned whether you stay here or not because we know we can replace you very quickly and mm -hmm. um and I don't mean to make that too harsh but you you really sense that you say okay I'm here I'm going to perform 
and I am not going to find any grandfathers or grandmothers living, you know, working there. Uh, they didn't have that kind of culture. Um, and so, but if you, again, wanted to be paid well and, ha and be at the forefront of this financial technology and breakthroughs, great place to be. Then the third company, you go to Walt Disney World, very different once again, entertainment. And I was in at Walt Disney World because that's very different and their culture is very different from the studios that are out in California. So I'm here in Orlando, Walt Disney World, we were theme parks, very creative, beyond belief. I thought I worked for creative companies before, but they are very creative and their culture was all about how creative could you be and how could you constantly change what you're doing to improve it. And, and you never stopped, you literally would would introduce something new and they go the next day they say how do we approve it so their service and quality was the most important part of the culture if, if you weren't in tune with high high levels of quality and service you know you didn't fit in that culture you know at all so you know very very different so how did you manage to adapt to these different cultures um, I, I would say I found that one of my uh, key strengths was adaptability and literally adapt, adapting to these different But it's cultures. not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, no. And, and, <laughs> and I can say in, in each of those companies, there were people that came in and in less than a year they left and they said, no, this doesn't fit what I'm looking for. Um, and for me, it wasn't as big a, an important thing. I was looking for very creative introducing new new products and services and i happened to you know when i went to these companies that's what i did and so that was my key driver and um and i probably even had a little subculture you know uh because <laughs> of what i was doing um but uh yeah i i was very good at adapting but yeah there and often i say to people that are graduating college and they're looking for a company I often do say, look for the culture that really fits what you're looking for and talk to people that work there, find out, because that probably will be an important factor for you. So these were all different fields and different companies, different work cultures, as you mentioned. Yes. So what, was there a common point in the work culture? Like what was the common, what was common in all these three major companies? Yeah, uh, the common one was high levels of quality of service. And I think that was the thing that probably attracted me the most. They made no compromise whatsoever. Um, and, and I and it's, it's absolutely as part of my personal culture and what I value the most. And any project that I'm involved in now, that's a key driver for me is how do we get the best possible result? And some people say, gee, why do you want to do that? And what these companies taught me was the value of that quality and service, especially, and Walt Disney was absolutely the quintessential example uh, of what, the, what that meant for your brand. And at Disney, a key thing was protecting that brand at all costs. And I saw literally multi-million dollar decisions, which some people would make and say, that's a highly profitable decision and Disney would just completely nix it and say, no, that is not good and consistent with our brand. We're not doing it. And, and they wouldn't, and they'd pass on it. And people would say, you're crazy.
crazy. And they go, no, that is not Disney. Um, so the common, to answer your question, the common thing was that high level of, of service, of branding uh, was very important, but I really did learn what the value was because I worked for other organizations that didn't have a brand that powerful. And it's incredible how you have to work so much harder because your brand is, is not working for you. Um, because the, the kind of results I got at American Express, it broke every record. If you talk to anybody else doing the same thing, they'd say, what's your response rate as you do you know, your campaigns? And my response rates were probably three, four times higher. At Walt Disney, we were doing our Disney Vacation Club. We were three times uh, closing rate, three times response rate than our nearest competitor, which was Marriott. Marriott is a phenomenal company. We were three times better. So it gives you an idea of brand. I think that ability to say no to things that don't uh, align with our value system, it, that, that aspect uh, result in a company that lasts for 100 years or 200 years, right? Exactly. Uh, but then yes, that's the exactly. difference between uh, established organizations and upcoming new organizations. Like new organizations have to hustle and try to do things differently and try a lot of different things, think out of the box just to get their names established. But then the established companies, they have a different style of work and different priorities, I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They, they already, if you, if you're a startup, you're in search of your business model. You're really searching for how do I want this business to operate? Who really is my customer? Who, you know, what really is my product? Um, but an established company, as we say is, they're trying to uh, make the best of their business model, which they've established and sometimes for 50, 60 years. And yes, they're, they're maneuvering a bit and they're always adjusting, um, but they've already got a business model. They've got years of data that they can analyze and a startup has no data. And in fact, many times the data they have is no good. And, and, it, and it's scary because they're, they're using that data, but it's, it's not valid data. Um, so yeah, that, that is really the difference. And so you have to kind of say, I'm not gonna use those techniques. And I went to business school um, and you don't use that business school stuff in a startup because it actually is detrimental uh, because all of the business school kind of courses are geared for established companies for the most part. You know, there's, there's entrepreneurial programs, but probably 90% of you know, their content and, and their teachings is all about, oh, you're going into an established company and you need to analyze these problems and here's your market and you have all this data that you can work with, so. You pointed out a, a, a big uh, deficiency in the education system too. Uh, yes, yes, it, it really is. Now, many of the universities here, um, they've got entrepreneurial programs and so they're beginning to recognize that and say, okay, if, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, sort of like your third year, maybe even fourth year, you can kind of shift in that direction. But the universities were set up and supported by existing large companies. And they basically said, train people that can work in my company perfectly fine. And, and so that model worked very well, you know, in the business schools, same way. I went to Columbia Business School in New York City fine school and we were absolutely plugged into especially wall street we were perfect fit wall street said 
this is what they have to do when they start a job here. And Columbia Business School taught that course. <laughs> it's a perfect marriage. Um, and you were ready. I mean, when I went to American Express, my first day on the job, I, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Uh, they said, you know, do this analysis. Here's our market. This is what we're going to do. And I'm going, yep, got it. I know, I know what to do. But the times are changing, right? Uh, you have had a very illustrious career, uh, uh -huh. uh, which spanned for decades. But yes. I think um, over the years, times have changed, and the options that are presented to uh, today's graduates are also different. Yes. Um, and they are looking at a sea of opportunities. And that yes. might lead them to opportunities which they they might not be the best uh, suited for those kind of opportunities, right? But they get attracted uh, to those opportunities just because they have the accessibility to look at those opportunities. So how do you manage this, this sea of opportunities that is presented to a new graduate? Yeah, and, and it's a good point. It's, it's so many opportunities really are accessible now. Um, and you're right, it was fairly rigid in the past. You know, if you were in a university, here are the companies you kind of generally move towards um, and, and again, establish companies from that standpoint. Um, I would absolutely, you know, if I'm in a college program, I would try to do some self-assessment to say, you know, what is it that I truly like to do? Do I want to be in an established company? And you can learn a lot. I, I got a lot out of my career. Or do you want to be an entrepreneur? And some good ways of really testing that. And I, and I have an intern now. He just completed his second sophomore year. He's going to be a junior. And he's working with us at the Business Accelerator. He's working with startups. And he's really getting a good feel for what it's like. And it's, it's a perfect thing to do. So I'd highly recommend if you can do those type of internships. And, and gosh, if you could do both, if you could one year work for a startup and one year work for a large corporation, you could really compare, contrast those and say, okay, this is what fit, fits my values, my way of working. Um, it's so hard to explain. I mean, I could sit with someone and I, I'm not sure they would really get it. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be something they'd internalize, but I think that's a good way of doing it. And then hopefully if you get those internships done early enough, you can say, hey, I love entrepreneurship. Let me move in that direction. And, and I would say many, many, you know, colleges, universities now have quite a bit of curriculum now where they can do that. Um, and we work with several universities here in, in the uh, Central Florida area, and they all have those programs. They're all very connected to local entrepreneurs. And so they're, they're seeing it as, as a very viable alternative. And many of their graduates are saying, I, I want to go in that direction, you know, help me. Uh, what do I do? So, But are the universities equipped enough or uh, have they taught their students enough to go into those uh, uh, new roles? Or is it the responsibilities of the organizations to mold these new employees to meet their requirements? Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of a little bit of both. And you can see that almost like the, and I'll call it the Fortune 500, you know, companies of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, they were doing is they were working with the business schools and the universities to say, here are the skills that we need. 
right, for people that are coming to work for us. And now what I'm seeing is more of the entrepreneurial startup community is now doing that with universities and, um, and working with them to say, how do we support? Usually it's an incubator program that the universities run. Um, but uh, honestly, I can see where the universities struggle a bit with these incubator programs. You can see that what they do is over here. They know how to run those courses and they have professors and, and curriculum built and it's really very, very good. And you can see they're a little bit out of their comfort zone when they go in there, they, they kind of do it. Um, although I've met some local professors who are perfect. I mean, they run great entrepreneurial companies and, um, and they go through the whole process of developing your pitch and what you need to do. And, and they're doing quite well. So I, I guess my answer is a little mixed. There's some that are stepping up well and then others are kind of saying, okay, we need to do this, but you can see underneath it's, it's really not strong enough. So when the person would go into a startup, they go, wow, what is happening here? Um, I'm not quite sure um, because it is a very different culture, if you will, um, because you're just moving as fast as you can. There's very little process, very little procedure. Um, and every day is different. You, you know, you think, oh, I'll get out my planning calendar for the week. Forget it. <laughs> Don't even start. <laughs> because halfway through Monday, you're going, well, my whole week has just changed. So, yeah. Obviously you're, do you're doing some planning, but you almost have to say, okay, my quick example, even in starting up the Disney Vacation Club, I had a calendar and my I had an assistant and she changed that calendar. I'm not kidding you, five or six times per day. And she literally walk into a meeting and go, here's your new calendar for the rest of the day. And, and my literally my day would completely change. And the same thing kept happening throughout the whole week. And we were working 12 hour days. It was a long day. And so you could literally have 10 meetings a day and they completely change. And you have to adapt also to say, I'm not going to be prepared for that meeting. I am going to go into that meeting and I have no idea what the agenda is, but I know I'm going. Um, so that, that's, that's the kind of training you don't get in a large company. You know, you go, oh, well, the meeting's in two weeks and I'll put, prepare, get myself together, right? And I'll go in, I'll be prepared to do, and startups are completely different, so. So startups have uncertainty and risk. That's the most, the biggest factors that play for startups, uncertainty and risk. Uh, absolutely. No, you've, you've hit it. Um, and and you, you have to be used to that. And yes, many startups fail. And so you almost have to go in with your eyes open, say, OK, I'm going to do this for the next year. And that's it. Now, established company, you go, oh, well, I'm going to go in there and I think I'll spend five years and develop my career in operations management. Very viable, good plan. And when you go in there, like Lockheed Martin, huge aerospace company, they bring people in and on the first day they go, you have a bachelor's degree, you're getting a master's. And in the <laughs> next year and a half, you will get a master's degree and we will pay for it. And here's the university you're going to, done. <laughs> and they just, and I have two nephews that went through that, um, both with Lockheed and they got their master's degree in a year and a half and they started immediately. Well, I mean, right away they did online courses and that sort of thing. Um, so 
they're there to keep you there and obviously you know go away i just got a free master's degree in engineering and um and now i'll continue you know with my career here um yeah and a startup is completely different hi how you doing yeah we'll find you a desk maybe next week you know <laughs> let's get going um and we may not be here in six months um so you just have to yeah. you know, you just and 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 that's a whole way and there are people that thrive in that don't i mean they love that situation this what um, according to you is essential to build a great career career is a long term uh, plan right it's uh, it's going to span for yeah. decades right what are those decisions that we can make to have a fulfilling career uh, down the line and that has become probably a big a bigger challenge nowadays if i shuttle back when i first started um there was a fairly um well established you know roadmap or you know way of proceeding with that and you could work for an established company i'll give you an example of marketing at procter and gamble and you would go in there and your boss would say okay bob you are now a marketing associate the next you know step is here the next step is here then you become a brand manager so i had the brand manager of at procter and gamble he worked for me um for toilet paper um and um but when he went into procter and gamble they said okay you need to do a project in market research you need to do a project in packaging you need to do this and they literally had almost a checklist that said okay if you complete these five things you'll get promoted you you do the next 10 things you're promoted again okay you need to prove you can increase your market share by 10% and if you do then you become a full brand manager and it, and it's very highly structured the good news is everybody knew that and when you said hey i need to do my market research project they'll go i know why it wasn't like what's wrong with bob why is he asking this question they go yeah you're right you need a market research you need this um so very highly structured um and i think now i'm not sure it's as highly structured it, it may be in certain companies a good question to ask during your interview so if you're interviewing with a well established company say hey well how does the career go here how do you you know continue to thrive in this company um and make progress and that's where you listen to is it highly structured or it's just hey you know get in here and work as hard as you can and everything will go your way if you start to hear that my advice is absolutely and we had this conversation last week with some people um definitely find mentors communicate immediately and say hey i want to continue here um but i don't want to start my keep in my beginning position you know for too long i want to continue progress um and so the mentors are very very important and you can have more than one mentor you don't need just one and they can give you a lot of advice and help you navigate because what begins to happen in your career the first couple steps not so important but as you move up people have to know you you have to have your brand right you have to be and so many people work so hard and do great work but nobody else knows about it really and so those staffing decisions in established companies those are things talked about regularly and they go okay we need you know three new positions here and four new operations managers 
who would be the best ones because they want to fill those internally first. Uh, they prefer to. And so you want to be on that list. And so to do that, you need mentors and supporters to, to help you. And, and a lot of it is just to be known. Hey, this guy, Bob, did a great job. He did this project, fantastic. And they'll go, oh, do you think he should be on the promotion list? You know, is he part of the succession plan? Um, so that communication is very important. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're in smaller startup companies, a lot of that is communicating with the founders and you're literally in lockstep with them. The good news is you have very few people, so it's hard to, to hide. Everybody knows if you're contributing what your success is, the career is pretty easy and also typically amazingly fast. So you start there and all of a sudden in three years or two years, you're all of a sudden the director of operations and you go, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I'll take the job, but <laughs> I've not done several of the things an operations manager would do in, in a, an AT&T, for instance. They would have been in several departments and, and been groomed, you know, to take a higher level job. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think, you know, it did. Uh, but yeah. I also think that it ties back really well into the initial conversation that we were having. Different companies have different work cultures and mentors yes. can help you navigate that work culture as well, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, what, what's valued, you know, what's important. Um, the example of AT&T, highly valuing, uh, valuing planning. And uh, if your planning skills aren't quite good, okay, let's get some training in long-term planning, you know, maybe financial analysis, uh, ROIs, and you say, okay, let me spend some time there. Um, at a Disney, highly creative. It may be you do some very creative projects. You maybe get involved in something that, you know, is, is going to, you know, really stretch you in that direction. And so, yes, you can absolutely supplement that along the way. And I think that's where mentors can help and say, hey, you're, you're really deficient in this particular area. And that is a skill that's needed at the next level. And I often have conversations during review periods with my employees to say, you really got to get good at this because at the next level, you have to be good at ABC, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's where those are, are very helpful. Speaking of work culture, what kind of work culture do you advise entrepreneurs or, and new startups to have in order to grow mm -hmm. the company? And actually, I, I do a whole three-hour session on this so I can answer some of the question. But essentially, we take people through the, the growth cycle, growth, growth curve of a startup and where do you start. And um, so our recommendation is if you're just starting out, you have very little funding at, the point, at this point. You need people that will take high risk, uncertainty, things change all the time and you're really kind of learning a whole set of almost survival skills and you're very comfortable with that now as the company grows even just a little bit you're going to start to introduce policies procedures you're going to have what you want to do is repeat what you're doing you want to get good at repeating you don't want to say oh my gosh here's another day and i got to figure it out again and i got to change it again you're really, as I say, seeking that business model that is repeatable, right? You just want to be able to repeat it many, many times. And so once you start repeating, then a whole bunch of things that, you know, Fortune 500 companies are good at is they're 
awesome at repeating the same thing again and again. And so operations management, analytics, financial analysis, you know, that all comes into play and you're doing more planning. And so now you're hiring. And that's what we say to our founders. They say, prepare yourself to hire different people because your needs will change as you grow. And then really, as you start to scale, you're really, you are looking for people that have worked at Fortune 500 companies because they're really good at that. At the same time, those people that you started with that are crazy and like, like a lot of change, what happens is the, the company outgrows them. They literally outgrow them and they kind of come into you and say one day and say, this company has totally changed. It's not what it used to be. And the culture in a way has changed and I don't fit here anymore. I like the, the craziness, the, the unpredictability of the day. And there are people that thrive in that. We actually had them at Walt Disney World. They opened up all the new resorts. So we would open up a new resort almost every year or two. And they were the startup team that went in. And you could see after it started up and about six months after it started up, they go, I'm out of here. Put me someplace else. Because they wanted that almost insanity of a startup. And they thrived in it. They loved it. Um, so as you grow, and I do this, and this is maybe a two or three year period. And I've been in a startup, we started with three people and we had 1500 people at the end of 18 months. And so it was a completely different company when we had 1500 people, nobody knew each other. And in a startup, you start your day and you know everybody and you, you've worked very closely. It's a close knit group. So yeah, it, it, it definitely varies. Um, and, and we teach that a lot to our startups because they they aren't kind of prepared for that. They say, oh, I want all my people to be part of this super duper startup. And I go, no, that that will change. I think uh, in startups, knowledge management is one other challenge uh, because mm -hmm. the founders have hassled through the initial years and they know so much about the business, but they have yes. not translated that into some kind of documentation which can be taught yes. to the new employees that are coming in so yes how do you manage that kind of uh, knowledge overload yeah. in one position um that, and, and a really good insight and question and i bring it up with founders because i say there will come a time where your business model is very repeatable and scalable and in order to really capitalize on that, you need to bring somebody in that will organize it, that will build your database, will get a CRM system that really works. There's so many startups that don't have a CRM system. They, they really don't manage it at all. It's just really flying as fast as they can and give them a spreadsheet and they're happy. And all of a sudden you go, well, you don't have three customers. Now you have 300 or 3,000. And if you don't have a CRM, if you don't have a database, you'll die, you know, you just can't do it. You can't scale. So, but very often those founders and those early employees don't have those skills or they're, they kind of have them. They think they do, but they really don't. Um, and having worked in those big companies, I know the people, like I know who I'd want to hire. Uh, and I've hired database managers. I've hired those people and I know what I'm looking for. And they come in and they are like driven to organize everything perfectly. And that's exactly who you want. Um, 
And so that's the way you get on top of it very quickly, because otherwise you can't scale and an entrepreneur. That's all it's about is how do I scale? You touched on this for a bit, but can you walk us through what what you are doing with the Starter Studio and how you are helping different entrepreneurs achieve their goals? Sure. Um, and we work not only with Starter Studio, we work with a, a second business accelerator on the east coast of Florida in our space coast. And I kind of compare the two because Starter Studio is more about um, software as a service, app applications for you know, mobile devices on the space coast. It's literally about rocket ships and satellites, and that's their, their focus. But in both cases, we established three separate programs, and we essentially are trying to take that entrepreneur through those three phases, the first phase being idea stage. And that literally is as it sounds. I have an idea. This is what I think will work. And usually that person is very new to entrepreneurship and sometimes even new to business. And we take them through a 10 week program where we say, if you want to build a company and launch this product and service, here's what you need to do. And it is not academic. It's, it's literally right down to it. Hey, we walked into a building, we opened the door and this is what you need to do um, to really prove out what your business model is. So idea stage is all about searching for your business model. Do I have something you can actually scale? Okay, that you can build a business on. So is it viable? Um, so we often say, is it desirable? Okay, is it feasible? And is it viable? Those three things. And so by the end of that 10 weeks, and we're, we're at the end of our 10 weeks, literally next week, and we're doing our pitch night, those entrepreneurs will say, I either don't wanna do this, or I'm gonna change dramatically what I do, or, I've got it. I've hit the ball out of the park. This is great. So they go one of three directions. If they want to continue with what they're doing, we have the build stage and we literally say, now you're building your company. The first stage was you got your business model. Second stage is we want to build your company. And what are the pieces to get the minimum viable product, get the minimum number of people and get this launched with the least amount of money and risk. And we talk to them about risk aversion and, and risk mitigation. How do you manage that? Because we don't want you to go broke, right? We want you to do this at the least amount of money. And so then they move through that and they get to a point at the end of that 12 weeks with that program that we say, okay, if this is still feasible, desirable and viable, then you're ready to be funded. And the seed stage, which is the third one, that's all about getting fundable, getting funds. How do you do that? And if they've gone through those first two phases, they're absolutely ready to, to do that. And so we work with them very intensely for another 12 weeks to say, how do you get funding? And we will get funding from the city of Orlando uh, to help them out uh, through grant money. Um, so we're, we're more than just, hey, here's what you need to do. Let's get you some quick seed money. Um, so one of the companies I, I had go through all three of those, they just raised $1.1 million. Um, and they literally went through it, did it perfect. It worked very well. They had a great company and they had a great team. They had two founders, uh, very important to have a co-founder. Um, and so we kind of take them through that process. So that's the, 
the learning, if you will, but the whole kind of foundation is we connect them with local entrepreneurs, with people that are our investors. Um, we make sure that they are exposed to the whole world of entrepreneurship and especially building their network because that really is the secret sauce, as they say, is you need those connections. So we can teach them, but they're better off having those great connections. So I did a business development course and uh, mm -hmm. in that there was special emphasis that having a right team is really important. They, they told us like at the start, uh, the initial phases, you need people that they termed in the course as kamikazes. Yes. Who are there, who are <laughs> adaptable, who, wear, who can wear yeah. a lot of hats and they're just disruptive. Yeah. They can, I mean, constructive in this case. Yeah. So they can wear all kinds of hats. They can be operation managers. They can do your procurement. They can be That's on the right. field. They can do planning. You need yep. people like that. And it's really important to have the right team, at, the, at least at the start of the company. And then, as you said, when the company grows, then the culture changes. And yes. like you said, like 1,500 people, like when, when you started the company, everybody knew each other. It was like a close close-knit family. But then when there are Absolutely. 1500 people nobody knows each other and the culture yeah. is completely different so okay. it's a different ball game as a startup and a different ball game as an established company right uh, yes yes no very different and and you got very good advice <clears throat> as far as the type of people that you want there um and yes you will find the people that thrive in that atmosphere and they, and they love to be there um and, it, and that's who you have to, and we coach a lot of our founders on how to do those interviews because so often the founders move in so fast that they have one conversation for a half an hour and they go, this guy's great, let's bring that person in. And you're going, time out, hold it. You know, did you ask him or her these five questions? And they go, no. And they go, well, wouldn't it be important to know the answers to these questions? So, um, and those questions are very different than if you walk into AT&T. They wouldn't be asking, you know, they might ask a couple similar, but um, yeah, it's, it's very hard. And, and our advice is you, you hire slow and you fire fast. So you take a long time to hire, but if the person doesn't fit your culture, isn't working, do not hesitate because that close-knit group is affected by literally that one person and um you know not to sound too tough about it but i've been there and i've seen it and it's bad and and all of a sudden people are in a miserable they're unhappy and they think i'm going to leave and it's all because of this one person and so just like a professional sports team you know you see it every day here's a superstar and all of a sudden they leave the team and they go how could you, you know, trade that person? And you go, well, because they made everybody else miserable on the team. And it, and it happens all the time. And, and startups are very similar. It is time for us to move into our fishing lessons segment. We oh, have what a... does that mean? I saw that. What does that mean? <laughs> we, we have a segment in our podcast where we ask our guest to share yeah. one or two actionable items that have helped them in their everyday life to achieve growth and achieve their success and goals. So what would those one or two aspects or uh, practices be for you? Um, I would say the number one is just be 
continually learning and developing yourself. Like literally don't let a day go by where you're not learning at least one thing, two things. And in particular, where we are today, it's moving so fast that you need to keep up. You need to be up to date on a number of things and you'll never quite be there. Now it's just moving so fast. But I found that it helped me a great deal. And in particular, when I started consulting, um, I did consulting things and I needed to understand an industry and a business in about two weeks. And so it really trained me to say, okay, here's this new industry and what is it all about? What's happening? Because I was literally meeting with the board of directors of this company. And these are people that have been in the industry for 30 years and I had to look smart. So, um, so yeah, that, that served me very, very well. And then the other, other side, I guess the second thing would be make sure to keep balance in your life. Everybody, you know, uh, really defines that differently, but I think, and what I learned from somebody that, that trains 150,000 new army recruits every year. That was his job. And I always remember him saying the most important thing about training is recovery. It's not the training, it's the recovery period. And he completely changed all of the initial training of all the army troops about 10 years ago. And they focused on recovery. And I guess in a way I was doing that myself is I'd work hard, but I always made sure I had recovery time. I could, you know, just take it easy and not say, oh, I have to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, because that's a recipe for burnout and high stress. And so that served me very well um, to be able to do that. Um, and that recovery period, if you will, helped a lot. Wow, those are some uh, really important lessons, especially the second one, right? In the age yeah. of uh, glorified, <laughs> 12 and 14 hours a day work, yep. it's very important to have that rest period so that you are back at your 100% the next yep. day. Yeah, and, and that almost ties back to the culture um, because when I was involved in consulting, there were consulting companies that say, you're gonna work six and a half days a week. Okay, that's it, it that's it. You will work that and you'll be traveling every week and this is your schedule and you will literally leave the air for the airport Sunday night. You'll arrive in your destination. You'll work all the way through Friday night and come back, you know, maybe on Saturday. And that's it. That's that's our that's what we do. Um, and there are other consulting companies that say you will never work on a weekend. You know, you will never do this. You never do. And they were able to hire a lot more people because they say this is crazy. You know, this kind of. Uh, lifestyle, if you will. Same thing, investment banking, same way. Investment banking is, you, they even said, I know I had two in-laws who went through it and they worked for Goldman Sachs and they said, you will not be at any holiday dinner for the for as long as you live here. They never came to our holiday dinner. <laughs> they were never there. And they, they were always working all the time. And, and they literally would work till midnight. They'd go home, take a shower, go back into New York City and start working at 4 a.m. And, and they did this week after week after week. So that was part of their culture. Um, if you talk to anybody in Wall Street, that's, that's very common. Now, do they make a huge amount of money? Yeah, it's remarkable. They literally were paid $50,000 a year. They started working there and they were making $250,000 a year, literally overnight. So they, and, and that's, that's what they basically say. You're gonna work here, you're gonna work hard, you're gonna make a lot of money and you'll do some really cool things. 
But that's it. That's that's our culture. So uh, the only appealing part is the money. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and what I liked was as I talked to alumni from the business school, they came in and talked to us after our first year and they said, you know, basically the consulting at the high level and in investment banking is a lifestyle choice. And essentially every one of them said, I'm going to do this for five years. And they drew a line and they said, I'm doing this for five years. I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'm leaving because the stress was beyond belief. I mean, beyond belief. I, I, I couldn't imagine doing that. So, but, um, but again, gets kind of ties the whole thing back to culture. Um, and you find that out during those interviews you know, early on. Those are some really interesting conversations that we had. I think we can go all day if we had time. <laughs> Probably. I, I got all kinds of stories. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting uh, talking to you, Bob, because we got an insight into really big companies and their work cultures. And uh, we also got an insight about how startups work. Startup and what kind of work cultures they have to have to succeed, right? And we ended with a really cool uh, fishing lessons from you. Uh, I, I'll make sure that I put in the link to the incubator that you're part of so that uh, all the new entrepreneurs looking for different opportunities can come to that website and understand how you can help them. Thank you again for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank Great you, Bob. Thanks. Have a good day. To know more about our guests, follow them on their social media. The handles are in the description.